what I was selling online and like was able to make money. But then as I sold more and more expensive products, literally it got easier. Hmm. Um, I had less customers, but was making more money. And um, yeah, everything just ran smoother. So the first thing I would recommend people do if they're getting into e-commerce is focus on expensive things. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. In this episode, we are talking with Anton Crayley. Anton has been a serial entrepreneur now for more than a decade, finding success building and selling multiple seven-figure businesses, which is exactly the kind of people that we like to talk to here on Young Smart Money. He is 32 years old. So again, he's been in the game for a little bit, but he's a lot more relatable than some of these bigger guys that you're going to hear from that are making billions of dollars every single year. But again, this guy has sold multiple seven-figure businesses. In 2013, he started Dropship Lifestyle, which is sort of the info product side of his business. Uh, primarily, he is a dropshipper. He started off in the dropshipping space, the high ticket dropshipping space. And then he expanded into the info product side of things with the release of Dropship Lifestyle, where he was teaching people how to create profitable e-commerce businesses by leveraging, again, high ticket dropshipping, because that is the business model that he got started in and was able to find a lot of success with. Uh, the course actually was voted the best e-commerce course by Shopify in 2018, prison award that they don't hand out very lightly. Um, so he's got some serious recognition on this course. It's also now a top e-commerce coaching program and he's helped over 10,000 people across 25 different countries to find freedom through entrepreneurship and specifically high ticket drop shipping. So um, without further ado, we're going to welcome Anton on to the show. Again, he's absolutely killing it. He's got a lot of value to drop on drop shipping in particular. So again, if you're interested in drop shipping, which I know a lot of you guys are, every time I have somebody in the drop shipping space on the podcast, it just goes crazy. And you guys are always sending me a ton of DMs telling me how much you enjoy those episodes. So again, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Anton Crayley. Anton, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Doing well. Happy to be here. It is a pleasure to have you here. So Anton, our listeners, they heard a little bit about you in the intro of this episode. But for those of them that aren't familiar with you and what you're up to, could you fill us in, give us like a 60 second rundown of what you're currently doing right now. And then we're going to sort of rewind in time and work our way back up to the present. Sure. Yeah. So I am building and scaling e-commerce stores. They are using the dropship model, but not from China. We work with domestic suppliers and we also focus on expensive products. So average order value, typically a thousand dollars or more. I do that in addition to running dropshiplifestyle.com, which is an e-commerce training community. Started that one a while ago, but still doing that. And uh, also doing a podcast called e-commerce lifestyle. Awesome. Awesome. So you're doing, doing a couple different things right now. Yeah. Keeping busy. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the only way to do it. I actually recently, a couple episodes on had somebody who was also in the high ticket drop shipping space. So I know our listeners are very interested in the world of high ticket drop shipping. So I'm very excited to get uh, down and dirty in that. But first let's rewind back to, I like to start with middle school and high school. So talk to yeah. us about that, that stage of life for you. Were you somebody who was entrepreneurial? Were you flipping things? Were you selling stuff online? Were you somebody that took school very seriously? Or what did yeah. that look like for you? <laughs> Definitely didn't take school very seriously. I was, uh, I was playing a lot of Counter-Strike. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm 32 years old right now, so it was a while ago. But yeah, I was playing video games. I knew eventually I wanted a business, but I just, you know, I, I guess I did do things like would shovel snow in the winter, would sure. like, wash cars in the summer, so things like that. But uh, my plan was kind of like, when I'm old enough, I'll have a business. Mm, okay, okay. But it wasn't like something that was, that was like on your mind. 
It, it was in the sense that uh, the reason I knew I eventually wanted to get there is because I have a, a family member, one of my uncles, that runs his own business. And from a young age, like my dad was a butcher. My mom did inside sales at an electronics company. Hmm. So like we were like middle class, you know, happy, everything good. But then I saw my uncle like, again, sports cars, boats, multiple houses. And I was like, okay, I want to I do what he does. So huh. don't do the same thing at all. But he is an entrepreneur. He owns his own business. So I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, own my own business. I just thought one day I'll do this. That's interesting. And, and I like that you brought up that you're from the middle class because a lot of times it seems like that can be one of the hardest places to find success in entrepreneurship from yep. just because people in, in lower classes really like see that, that vision, that goal, and they're striving for it because they, they know what, it, what it's like to not have it. And then yep. if, you're, if you're born into it, then you don't have that drive either. So yep. I'm interested in why, why do you think you were able to sort of break free of that complacency of, of the middle class lifestyle that you were used yeah, to? I think it was, and I, I totally agree. I think it's because I saw it. Like I visually saw hmm. it. You know, I, we only went to my uncle's house maybe twice a year. We would go for Christmas. We would go for Thanksgiving sometimes. And like just that though, and just like being in a, that different environment made it real. But I do agree. Like if I, let's say, you know, he had a job doing what he did instead of owned his own company doing that, or if his business wasn't successful. And if I just, you know, watched the same TV shows and the same movies as everybody else and saw that, oh, there's this ideal life, but didn't you know, if I couldn't connect it to like reality, I think it would be really hard to actually think it was attainable. So that, mm. that gave me a big advantage. And, you know, I don't know why, but even from a young age, I remember him saying to me like, yeah, you know, you could do this too. Just, you got to start your own business. And for some reason he would always tell me like, before you're 30, try to have something figured out. And it was funny. He would tell me this when I was like five years old. He's like, <laughs> do it. He's like, try as many things as you want, you know, take big risks, but try to figure it out by 30. And that stuck mm. in my head. Like it really did. So um, if anybody is listening to this that like already has success too, and there's people around you, like whether it's children or, you know, nephews or nieces, whatever, just like keep it like in their head and like motivate them and tell them they can do it. Cause that really inspired me to, to take this path in life. Hmm. Did you, did you feel like you had it figured out at 30, even though it was only a couple of years ago? I, I'm always figuring it out. I'll say <laughs> that, but, um, definitely like I, I dove into it. Like by, I, like, as soon as I got out of college, like that was it, like it was on. I was like, okay, business is, is it's go time. So, um, and then I probably, if you would have asked me when I was, you know, 21, I probably would have told you I have it all figured out. And then <laughs> at 23, I would have told you and at 25 and now I'm realizing like, okay, this is a, there's always, you know, more to learn. There's always more places to go. So, uh, I definitely, by like my mid twenties, I had sold a few businesses. So I felt like I had it figured out in the sense that like, I can do this for the rest of my life while, you know, testing new things. I had like that security, okay. but, um, yeah, always learning. And anybody that isn't, you, you start again. Yeah. You always have to be on top of things. That's interesting because a lot of the people that I talk to, especially I'm in college myself right now. And a lot mm -hmm. of my peers, a lot of the listeners who are also on the younger side, they tell me that they never feel like they have it figured out. Like they, they never yeah. have that confidence. And for you, it seems like you always had that confidence. You were always like, Oh man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really good at this. I'm really excelling yeah. in this area. Was that something that came naturally to you? Or so, where did that come from? I think what's good about it, like not to like confuse it. I, I wouldn't do something new. Like so the, the way I got into e-commerce back in 2007, I read the four hour work week when that first came out, mm -hmm. there's like a chapter on building Yahoo stores and like a chapter on setting up Google AdWords. So I did that. Right. But like, I didn't do it and sit there at the computer and think like, this is it. Like I have it all figured out. Yeah. I'm going to be rich. I did it. And I thought, okay, let's see what happens. And then when things went wrong, which they did and things still go wrong, oh, yeah. but I never looked at that. Like this is that I can't figure it out. Then I thought, okay, what's the problem? What's the solution? Okay, let's fix it. Let's not do that again. So I think I, I think I figured it out in the sense that I knew that it was possible. And I knew that when things broke, 
I could find a solution and implement a fix and then move on to the next problem. So never thinking I'm smarter than anybody, but always be willing to fix and adapt rather than throw my hands up and say, I can't do this. Mm, fix and adapt. That is key. Mm-hmm. So Anton, talk to us about that time. I think you said 2007 when you first got into the world of e-commerce. What was yep. the draw there for you? So it was that book. Um, so I graduated from uh, SUNY Albany, upstate New York. Anybody right. listening from New York? Graduated from there in 2006. And then I bought my first business, which was an actual, it was delivery route. So I got a truck and the rights to drive into Brooklyn every day, pick up boxes of cookies, and then sell them to grocery stores on Long Island where I'm from. Hmm. And I bought that for $25,000. And I thought that my, my, my business plan was, that's all I can afford. So I'm going to buy this. I'm going to build it up to maybe where it's worth 50000 I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy another business, build it up to where it's worth maybe 100000 sell it, and so on and so on. Um, luckily, though, like I was doing it for maybe a couple months, and that's when the book, Before Our Work Week, came out, and that was the drive. Because before I read that, I thought like if you wanted to build a website, whether it's e-commerce or something else, you needed a ton of money. You needed mm. to be super smart and technical, which I am not technical at all. <laughs> I'm not even good with math. Like you asked about school, I did not do well in school. Um, I did okay, but like no nothing to, to sure, brag about. Sure. Yeah. So like I, that book was like, hey, you could just you know you could anybody could figure it out. So that's what drew me to it. And then when I set it up, I did find success early on. It was a different game back then. Like 2007, Google AdWords were they might as well be free. It was like five cents a click. And, um, but yeah, I, I, it was easier then. So that's what I'm saying. Always be learning, always adapting. I've changed how I do things a lot since then. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I tried it, within a couple of weeks, that was making more money than the offline business, which was driving to Brooklyn every day. And then that was like, okay, I like e-commerce. This is what I want to do. And then I started scaling into more and more products and more and more expensive products. Wow, that's huge. And I mean, like you said, that's not what should be expected, especially like in 2019. Yeah. Um, you're likely not going to see like crazy returns in the first couple of weeks and start making more money during doing this than you were yep. doing whatever you were doing before. Yep. But but there is a lot of potential in this space. And that's why I wanted to have you on and talk about the, the world of dropshipping. Because that's something, again, that our listeners are extremely, extremely interested in. Now, another thing that I like to talk about with my guests is the role that mentors have had on their lives. And it sounds like your, your uncle might have been a strong mentor figure for mm-hmm. you. Who were the people that were really influencing you, pushing you forward and helping you get to that next level throughout your entire journey of, of growing your e-commerce business? Yeah, I, I think I would have to say him, even though we've probably had like maybe one business conversation, which was only a few years ago. So like after me doing this stuff oh, for a really long yeah. time. So, you know, it was more of like, again, just like looking at what he did and um, a few lessons that I remember when I was a young kid, he taught me as well. He's like his business, they do like skyscrapers in Manhattan, they do like the heating and cooling for them. So put on the massive units for, you know, the tallest buildings. So totally different business. But I remember him telling me like, Hey, like everything we do, the reason we're so big is because every time we tell a customer and since they started, every time they tell a customer we can do X, Y, or Z, they do X, Y, or Z. Even if they didn't know how at first, even if they have to overpay for it, whatever it is, just like always deliver. And that was one thing that since I started had stuck with me also like, okay, if you want to last, which is a big problem in the world of e-commerce and drop shipping, people build these like little burner stores. Like that's not what I ever wanted to do. Um, so I think I got that from him as a mentor and then also just being able to, again, see the difference in the lifestyle. Um, but it wasn't like, I think sometimes people think mentoring, like I'm going to talk to this person on Skype once a week and they're going to share all these lessons. I never had that with anybody. Um, a big thing was books. Like some of the best education you can get is spending seven or $10 and, you know, buying a book. <laughs> uh, I mentioned four hour work with a bunch of times, but rich dad, poor dad. Oh yeah. I read that one way back in the day also totally changed my mindset on money. Um, so I think that I would count that as like maybe 
what's his name? Richard Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki. Yeah. Maybe he's a mentor that way, but, um, a lot of it was from reading and then, um, yeah, just doing. Mm, I love it. I love it. So one of, one of the lessons that you brought up is, is the idea of sort of saying yes and, and really making sure that you deliver on the promises that mm-hmm. you make to people. Have you ever struggled with sort of overextending yourself or saying yes to too many things, taking on too much at once? Because I know for me, that's, that's an issue that I face in my business. Mm-hmm. It was very regularly until I sort of intentionally said, like these, I, I'm going to limit the things that I take on so that I make sure that I do an intentionally very good job at the few things that I do instead of trying to do everything. So has that been something that you've struggled with at all? Definitely, definitely. And I, you know, there's been times that it's, creeped back in over the years. But in the beginning, um, one way I, I failed on that completely is I thought like, again, I was going into this e-commerce thing with like the lifestyle side of it. Like I can yeah. work 20 minutes a day <laughs> and like you can, but you need to have a team. And what happened is I started spending more money on ads, started getting more orders, started getting more customers and just didn't have the support in place to manage it. Mm. And because of that, you know, the promise is you buy this thing, you're going to get it in X amount of days. And if you're not happy, you can email us because we're a business and we'll respond, you know, with whenever we said back then 12 hours and sure. you know, Sometimes responses would be too late. Sometimes shipping would be delayed and there wasn't any systems in place and there weren't any people, even like one other person that could step in. So that was something I struggled with for probably a couple of years, like being even like mentally ready to allow someone else into the business that alleviated a lot of it once I had help. Um, And then um, beyond that, like on the e-commerce side of things, pretty much had it all under control, like realizing like realistic expectations are always the way to go mm. with the, uh, the info stuff and the coaching stuff. There's been times that like, yeah, like, like what you were saying, like sometimes you want to say like, I can do everything yeah. in the world for you and then realizing it's just not possible, especially at scale. So, yeah. um, yeah, probably in the beginning, um, not that we didn't do it, we did deliver, but it just was too much work and too much of a headache and too much stress. So Yeah. That's the truth. Now talk to us about building that initial team and sort of getting over that hump of, of handing off the reins essentially to somebody mm-hmm. else. What was that like for you? And then what sort of made you finally go over the edge and do it? Yeah. So basically realizing like, okay, if I want to be in business again for any extended amount of time, um, then this needs to be part of the business. So the way I started is by going, I don't even know what website back then. Um, I think they've all been bought out so many times, but one of them (laughs) where you can, yeah, like the old Upwork, whatever it was called and, um, finding someone in the Philippines. So most of our support team is still in the Philippines even today. And, um, basically just going through with them like, Hey, listen, this is what we do. These are the FAQs that we get. This is what to do if a customer asks where their order is. This is what to do if a customer receives their order and wants a refund. This is what to do if someone wants to know if this is in stock. So basically just giving them like everything that I was doing at that time manually and then monitoring what they're doing. So it was a pretty simple handoff. And once I did that, like again, before I did it, I had this mental block. Like if I let anybody answer emails, the business is going to crash and burn. And instead what happened is just everything got better. Like (laughs) customers were happier. Like we got more orders. So yeah, I, it was a definitely a mental barrier for sure on that, on that side. What would you tell a listener who, whose business is is growing and it's growing and and they're not quite feeling like they're ready to hand off the reins. Like what would you tell somebody who's yeah. in that position and not sure if, if it's time? Yeah, I would say do it before you think you're ready because even if let's say you can do it yourself, right? Let's say you work five hours a day and let's say two of them are managing your existing customer base. 
then, I mean, you say, okay, well, I've, I still have three hours and I can work on growth and I can work on improvements. But the thing is like, you don't have to do that two hours. So even if you're bringing somebody on and you're bringing them on for two hours a day, or even like a little bit more planning to scale, maybe you're bringing them on for four hours a day. And in addition to responding to tickets and live chats and phone calls, maybe they're creating documents for the team as they grow. So they're documenting how they do things or how they can improve things. And then in your five hours a day, maybe 30 minutes of your day is overseeing what they did. So checking their sent emails, checking live chat history, um, making sure calls are answered. And then your other four and a half hours now are focused on growth. And that way you're spending a small amount of money. And yeah, you're making less personally, but now you have all this extra bandwidth mentally and literally time-wise to grow your business. So if you actually do want to grow and not just maintain, it's a huge, huge thing. And I, I get it because and again, if you're doing support yourself one or two hours a day, it seems like nothing, but that adds up big time and it'll really slow your growth. Absolutely. So how do you personally decide like which things stay on your plate and which things go off your plate? Yeah, at this point, um, pretty much the things that are on my plate are overseeing all of our ads because that's where most of our money goes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there could be huge swings. So sure. I'm not running everything myself, but I'm spending a lot of time making sure that um, there's no holes and nothing, you know, is, is broken and we're not just literally throwing tons of cash out the window. So um, I do that. Um, I also have people on our team at this point that do manage our support team and our sales team. So um, we actually, you know, we're recording this on a Monday. We do meetings every Monday morning and then we do a short one every Thursday morning. And what we're doing there is you know, the person that's running sales and support, they report on our KPIs for that side of the business. And um, my role is to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be. But um, by the time, you know, we're at meetings, everything has been, smoothed out that maybe wasn't working right. So yeah, just um, making sure if there is any massive problems, if we need any more people, if we need any new tools, then I'll make sure we have what we need, but it's more um, oversight at this point. Okay, solid. And I mean, that's, that's eventually where, where most people probably want to get to if, if you want to go for that four hour work week lifestyle, have that yep. freedom to, to do what you want with your time. Yep. You, you really want to have those systems in place, have those people in place so that you can just be the one that's overseeing all the operations, yep. and not necessarily going in and doing everything tactically. Yep. And that might like, that might scare people. Like if someone would have told me, yeah. you know, 10 years ago that I would have like these tiers of a team, I would be like, no way. So <laughs> the way that I would explain this, like in the way that it happened naturally kind of with my company is like that person I'm talking about, let's say the support person that somebody brings on when they only need an hour of help a day, that person, if they do well, if they excel, if they spend their extra hour or two in the day making this documentation for the team, well, then when you bring someone else on, you could say, okay, you're reporting to whoever this person is. Mm -hmm. And like, if they're growing with your company, that's the way you want it to happen. Um, we've tried in the past, like as we've, as we've scaled, to bring in high level people that have tons of job experience. And it's never worked as well as bringing people in that start as new with the company, hmm. really perform, and then basically people start working under them. So that's, that's how you can kind of see it working. You don't hmm. need to go spend a ton, ton of money or anything like that. I like that. I like that pro tip right there. So Anton, talk to us a little bit about the basics of drop shipping because for me, it's, it seems like a lot of people get caught up in sort of the tactics and the, and the high, the high level stuff, the little itty bitty stuff. When in reality w with anything, with any business, I find that like 80% of your results are going to be dictated by like the basics and like having a mm -hmm. solid understanding of, of the fundamentals of whatever you are doing. Because if you don't know those fundamentals, if you don't know exactly like why the things you're doing are working, um, it's going to be like the, the little stuff on top isn't going to give you as much of a return. So talk to us about like the very basic things that you need to understand if you want to be successful in the drop shipping yeah. space. Yeah, sure. So um, a big one is obviously starting with products. So what are you actually going to sell? Uh, I mentioned we do high ticket products. Like I started with 
cookies. That's what I was selling online and like was able to make money. But then as I sold more and more expensive products, literally it got easier. Hmm. Um, I had less customers, but was making more money. And um, yeah, everything just ran smoother. So the first thing I would recommend people do if they're getting into e-commerce is focus on expensive things. Um, that doesn't mean just sell anything in the world that sure. is, you know, 500 bucks. Like I would never sell most electronics. Uh, reason being because they're really like customers have too many questions. Um, yeah. You're trying to build a business where you're not dealing with like millions of tickets every day. So, um, and also you're not going to get approved with like Sony and LG and, you know, Apple and Dell, like you're not going to sell that stuff. So um, expensive products where there's really no brand loyalty. Hmm. So things that customers would be comfortable with anything. So um, I'm at a stand-up desk right now. When I bought this, I went on Google and I typed in stand-up desks. I didn't care what company it came from. I just sure. wanted one that you know, looked good and fit my space. So something like that. Uh, what's good about that is you're not going to be trying to compete with keywords that again are, are massive company names. And, um, what's also good about that is a lot of the times people are drawn online, um, because again, they're looking for something that maybe they can't drive down to the local store and pick up. So something that people are more likely to go on the internet to find, um, beyond that, a huge thing that we look for when we're trying to find what companies we want to sell for are companies that do have pricing controls. And the, the way that this is technically worded is companies that have minimum advertised price policies. So map, and that's a big one, right? Because like, let's just say we go with a standup desk example. Sure. If I just wanted to sell these and I went on, let's say eBay and I typed in standup desks and I saw some, some guy was selling them and I said, Hey, can I sell this? Um, and he said, yeah, sure. I make them in my garage, whatever. Like if you're working with people like that, yeah, there's no kind of pricey controls. Maybe he would say, give me 400 bucks and sell it for whatever you want. Mm -hmm. That's not the type of thing we want because then if somebody wants to sell it for 450, no one's stopping them. And then we're not going to sell it for that to make any money and yeah. don't have a business. So uh, a basic or a fundamental that's super important again, is that pricing control. That means if I was selling the stand-up desk, the company would tell me, okay, Anton, minimum advertised price is a thousand bucks. And then if you were going to sell them, they would say, okay, minimum advertised, is, minimum advertised price is a thousand bucks and so on and so on. That way your margins are pretty much locked in. So that's, that's a big one. Um, Beyond that, like there's, you know, it, it depends how deep you want to go, but like that, that's kind of what you need is like the, the foundation. So great uh, products that people are drawn to the internet for that are more expensive suppliers that actually enforce pricing controls. Um, also in, in line with that would be direct relationships with those suppliers and those mm -hmm. brands. So you don't want to use any middlemen. You don't want a wholesaler. You don't want you know, a dropship directory that charges you a monthly fee. You want that relationship with each company you sell for. And from there, it's about, you know, building a website that's optimized to convert, getting the right types of traffic, having strong ads and follow-ups in place. So depending on how deep you want to go into those things, we could talk about them. But in the beginning, you need at least those things. Okay. Talk to us a little bit more about building that relationship. Cause it seems like yes. it's a very important part of the process. And for say, say a listener who's like, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 years old and yep. hasn't really built any relationships with people in, in any, in their industry, um, how would they go about building those first relationships and where are they going to go meet these, um, meet these suppliers at? Definitely. Yeah. So there's different like levels of suppliers, right? Um, I call them bronze, silver, and gold. Okay. So the, 
when you're like, when you're established, right. And when people in your industry know you and not you personally, but they know your website because yeah. it pops up all the time. That's when you start working with like the top tier of suppliers. Those yeah. are the gold ones. Those are the ones that work with maybe five, you know, six different online retailers. Okay. And they're the ones that will link to you on their site. Mm. So like if you're just starting, it doesn't matter if, you know, if you were 17 or if you were 50, like you're not going to have those in the beginning. So yeah. everybody keep that as like, that's in a year you'll get them okay. um, on the other side of the spectrum, the bronze ones, those are the ones, unfortunately, that are easiest to find. And yeah. they're the ones that most people start with. And they're the ones most people fail with. Mm -hmm. So those are the ones that don't have those pricing controls. Those are the ones that will charge you to sell their stuff. Like they basically make it seem easy, right? Like, oh, give us 50 bucks a month and you could sell a thousand products. Like that's, you'll never make money with those companies. They're middlemen. So you don't want those. So the relationships you build when you're new and the companies you work with are in that middle tier, those, those silver suppliers. And the way you get them is first build a website. So let's say again, someone's listening, they want to sell stand up desks. Okay. Go on Shopify, sign up for your 21 day trial or 14 day trial they have now build your stand up desk store, make it as if it was going to be the store that you were sending customers to. So make an about us page, make a contact page, upload like three or four, what I call demo products. So nothing you're actually taking money for, but find like some stock images of stand up desks and, you know, make it look like a, like a good looking store. Okay. Um, it's easier said than done, but yeah. do that. Um, go on YouTube, I have a video on it, but do that. And then um, from there, what you'll do is actually reach out. So this is where the relationships happen. Calling is much better than emailing. Um, you'll simply, to find out, first of all, who they are, yeah. is you'll go on Google, you'll type up stand-up desks, you'll find every company that has them listed for sale, and you'll try to find ones that do not have retail locations. So hmm. that's like a check, just go to their about page, go to their contact page. If they don't have retail locations, you'll pick up the phone, call them, say, hey, this is Anton from AntonStandUpDesks.com. Um, you know, we're about to launch our website. The launch date is May 31st. We were looking through your website. Your products look like they'd be a great fit. Um, we're sure we could definitely, you know, drive some business your way. I'm wondering who I speak to about opening an account. That simple. Just basic, who do I talk to? Hmm. Depending on the size of the company, some of them will give you a sales rep. So they'll say, oh, let me you know, put you in contact with this person. Or they'll say, oh, I can help you. And from there, you're basically saying you know, the same thing. Okay, like how can I go about applying for an account? Typically, they're going to email you over some forms. Uh, one of them is that minimum advertised price agreement. So they're saying you could sell our stuff if you don't go under this price. Usually one of them is like a new uh, retailer request form where you're writing your name, your store URL, how they can contact you. Um, so that's like the relationship at first. It's mm -hmm. reaching out on the phone, getting those documents, sending them back as soon as possible. And that's enough to get your foot in the door. That's going to get you their product catalog. That's going to get you the ability to sell their stuff. Now from there, you do want to build on that. So, you know, there's, there's tons of stuff we do on the back end, trying to negotiate better prices, um, trying to get like faster shipping times. But those are things that come over time. In the beginning, just getting the approval really isn't that hard. Again, if you're willing to build your website and if you're willing to pick up the phone. Mm. Absolutely. Like you said, picking up the phone is, is going to be so much more impactful than sending them an email because I'm sure they get hundreds, if not thousands yep. of emails every single day. So you want to be able to stand out and really differentiate yourself from everybody else out there who is doing um, similar, if not the same thing as you. 
Now, the next thing that I want to ask you about is sort of the things that most people miss, because I'm sure when you are looking through other people's stores, there are like these glaring mistakes that you see and you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, like what are they thinking? How could yeah. they be doing this? And the things that you just see time and time again. So what are some of the things like that, that, that are glaring mistakes for you that you see time and time again on, on stores that you're looking at? Yeah. So a big thing is when people like, I, I guess they do it because there's all these courses out there like on how to you know, drop ship from China and stuff. Sure. And um, on my YouTube channel for a while, I was actually doing store reviews and I would say like, yeah, post your link below and I'll check it out and make a video like auditing it. And all the stores were basically like the same thing mm. where they were selling copyrighted products <laughs> And not just that, but things that, that they did that they weren't authorized to sell, I guess I should say that, but also things that just weren't related at all. So it was like the homepage would be like, I don't know, like buy gifts for kids.com. And then it would be like a Game of Thrones pillow next to like a Pikachu doll next to like, I don't know, a you know, New York Giants hoodie. And it was like, what, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so like that, so I mean, one big thing, I guess it's another fundamental is you want to build sites. Like one reason we can still compete with huge stores is because we can build sites around like themes and around niches or around hobbies. So if let's say you were licensed to sell game of Thrones stuff, I would say build a game of Thrones store, make everything about the experience on that site about game of Thrones. Now, of course, if you can't don't sell any of it, yeah. but don't start mixing in all this random stuff. It would be like, you know, the equivalent of, I don't know, walking down a strip mall and just seeing a store that said, you know, I don't know, NFL hoodies and then going in there and seeing random crap on every shelf. Like that's <laughs> terrible. So yeah, that's, that's huge. Don't do that. Pick what you want to sell, build a site themed around it. That way your about us page, that way your blog posts, everything could be speaking to that person. Um, so let's say you do that though. Let's say you're like, yeah, that's obvious, right? You're past that. Sure. Uh, another thing is just remarketing and capturing leads on your website. A lot of people are not doing that. Like maybe they'll have in their footer a box that says subscribe to our mailing list. You could type in your email. No one's going to do that. Like no. they don't care. <laughs> so yeah, make, make it a reason. You know, we do things like giveaways. Mm -hmm. So enter your email address for a chance to win product XYZ or enter your email address for a 10% off coupon code, something like that. But, um, you know, I, I say this one because I'm guilty. The first like five years in business, I barely collected emails. Like wow. when people placed orders, I got their email address. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah now it's like 30 to 40% of our business. So make sure you're proactively capturing leads, but not just saying, hey, give me your email, right? Incentivize it. Um, that's a big one. Another one is not having like a way to actually contact the store, mm -hmm. which sounds obvious, but so many sites I went to didn't have live chat. Um, some of them had like a contact box that you had to like search the whole site to find. Almost none of them had phone numbers. And like the thing with the phone number on your site, let's say you don't want to answer the phone or you're in school or something like that and you're not ready to outsource phone support. Even if you have a phone number on your website, it's going to make the customer feel more, more confident because they're going to think, I don't need to call now, but if I have a problem, I can call this company. And even if they do call and you can't answer it, you should, but if you can't have a voicemail that says, you know, thanks for calling. Sorry. We're you know, busy helping other customers right now. Please leave your name, email, and phone number. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And that way you can at least capture leads that way. So, let people reach out to you, right? They want to give you money. And um, yeah, that's a big one. There's so many things. There's so many things like uh, just product images, right? So like on product pages, mm -hmm. we're selling expensive stuff. So we know yeah. we need as many images as possible from every angle. Um, if we can get videos, we want videos. We want to show this thing off because we're asking, you know, 
for 1500 bucks, 2000 bucks. And you'll see people that have like one low resolution, like image and like, no one's going to give you money for that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much, those are some of the easy wins, I guess. Okay. And talk to us a little bit about like establishing your store. I mean, you said you want to make it pretty focused and, and really niche specific, but how, how many products generally do you have on a store? Because I had somebody on the show actually a couple of weeks ago who he's, he's really a fan of one product dropshipping. Like he, his yep. stores literally have one product on them. And then I know some people will have like hundreds of products on their, on yep. their stores. So, so where, where do you fall in the spectrum of that? Yeah. At a minimum a hundred, we have some that are, you know, 3000 plus. It wow. depends on how big the, the niche is. The thing with like the, you know, the one product style of, drop shipping or e-commerce or anything. Um, it works. You know, you could sell if you have a trending product and it's hot, that's great. Sure. But again, the things that we're trying to do with our stores is find like basically these evergreen niches mm. that we can build now that'll still be here in one year. That'll be bigger in five years. That'll be bigger in 10 years. And when we go into a niche, we want to work with every single brand that makes good products, of course, but every single brand, we want access to their full product catalog to be able to sell because we're trying to, again, build something that isn't dependent on a trend or on something being hot or dipping. So we're trying to build basically like, you can think of it as like e-commerce authority sites in different niches. Okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. What do you think are some of the main differentiators that exist between the people who go out there like yourself and have a lot of success in the dropshipping space and those that either give up, never get started, or just don't end up getting traction um, yep. with their stores? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's like a, I don't know, it's the answer that people are going to go, of course he said that, but I really do think it's a mindset thing. Um, from the people that, you know, I've seen that email in and say like, Hey, this isn't working for me. Say like, Oh, send me a link to your store. You know, I'd be happy to check it out. Yeah. Like there's not a store. They haven't mm -hmm. built a store. Oh, send me your top three. Or they say like, I can't pick a niche. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Send me your top three and I'll help you pick one. I, I don't have three. So like, it's really just like not making an effort. Um, once people get past that, one thing I've seen people really struggle with over the years is that, that, that interaction. So mm. when you're getting approved with suppliers, like, like you said, a lot of people do email them, but also like a, like a supplier's main job isn't taking on new retailers. Like they're processing orders for their clients. They're, you know, updating what they have in stock. They're thinking of new products. So like you do need to, to make a real effort to, to reach out to them. They do want to work with you, but you have to show them that you want to work with them. So, um, yeah, people are scared of the phone, even if it's going to benefit both parties. So that would be, I think like the next step, get comfortable on the phone from there. Like if you could do that, it's really just like I spoke about earlier where you're not thinking of anything as a failure, but thinking, what happened wrong so I can improve it. So like if you, if you pick your niche, you built your website, you have products on it, then you're starting to run traffic and like, like you're auditing it, right? So what worked, what didn't, what should I cut? What should I add to? And I think people can get into the rhythm at that point, but it's really in those first few steps where people just say like, I'm not doing this. Like I'm, I don't want to do research. I don't, I don't want to use Google. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. So when you're evaluating like what works and what doesn't, what are some of like the key metrics that you look at and that you advise people who are just starting off to look at? And For product selection? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, price point, again, we want it to be, we say over 200, ideally over a thousand. Um, you want it to be something that's not seasonal. So we just use Google trends to check for that. Um, because if it's seasonal, you know, you, you might not, you might have to wait eight months to see if you have a good niche yeah. in your hands or not. So I think I say seasonal stores are okay, but wait till you have like something in place already. Um, so that's another thing we look for. We look in Google keyword planner to see um, uh, monthly searches for like the high level niche. So let's say it was stand-up desks. I would search for that. Um, I want it to be 30,000 or more monthly searches just to show that there are enough people actively looking like, I don't know, something that's not popular. I'm like looking around. I don't know. I have like 
an air filter. It's probably popular, but if I search for air filter and it showed 8,000 monthly searches, then it's not, there's not going to be enough volume. So um, we look for that. Also look to see, to make sure it's what I call dropship friendly, Hmm. meaning are there other websites out there selling these things that are not, um, that are not saying we have retail locations here or that do not have warehouses. It's fine if they have offices, but we don't want them to stock anything. So that's Hmm. another test that we use. Um, and yeah, those are the main ones. If I could see all that and I could verify that, then that's like a green light to start building the website. Awesome. You've been dropping a lot of value on drop shipping, and I want to touch a little bit on the info product side of things as well, since that's a huge part of your business yep. at this point in time. So talk to us a little bit about your decision to pivot into the, the info product side of things and, and launch your dropship lifestyle course. Yeah. So in, um, in 2012, 2012, I sold like a network of stores okay. and, um, I still like had like, I had different groups, basically what, what we wanted to do was sell one store. And that was the first time I realized they actually were worth money. But then I also realized that when you sell a business, you typically have to sign like a non-compete saying like, I'm not going to sell you know, this same type of thing for X amount of years. And because we had to sign that, we also had to basically sell like a network of related stores. So we weren't competing with the site we sold. So um, sold that, still had like some more that I was running, but instead of working like, I don't know, six hours a day back then, I was working now like two hours a day and I was bored. So I went on Google and I searched for, I think e-commerce forums or like e-commerce masterminds. Cause at that point I didn't even know there was like a world of people that connected on the internet. And, um, what I found back then was the warrior forum, which I think it's still around. Don't recommend it, but basically (laughs) it was a bunch of people like they had an e-commerce section and it was a forum with a bunch of people just like posting things that I knew not to be true at that point, based on like five years of experience. And like, they were trying to sell each other like stuff. And they were talking about like these, these methods that were just so terrible. So back then I was just commenting on posts and I was like, Hey, like you shouldn't do that. Like try this or, you know, check out this ad platform or optimize for this thing. And Hmm. like, my post got really good feedback and people started to message me and uh, they were like private message me like, Hey, can you coach me? And I said, no, just don't want to do that. But then eventually I was like, you know what, let me make some videos. And um, yeah, that was, that was when I started into 2012. I recorded like just some videos going step by step with how I launched new stores, put that for sale. And that's become, you know, what dropship lifestyle is today. Wow. That's huge. And, and this course received a lot of positive feedback. I mean, I know Shopify even acknowledged it. I think that was last year. Yeah, yeah, they they uh, voted it for the best e-commerce course, which was pretty cool because they only they've only done that one time. So it was that they do like a big partner conference with like five thousand people called Shopify Unite, and um, yeah, they did it once and they gave Dropship Lifestyle a pretty cool trophy for best e-commerce course. And they're also doing now like these um, I forgot what they call it like I should know this, but it's like verified or like authorized Shopify courses. Huh. And I think there's three of them, and we're one of them for there. So that was cool too. But yeah, yeah, wow. we have a good relationship with them. So talk to us about the mindset of sort of establishing this course, building it out, and then eventually like sharing it with people. What was, what was your thought yeah. process here? Was it really just like, I want to help more people with this? Was it like, I want to build something scalable? What was it was process? not scalable. Yeah, it was that people were asking and I was like, okay, I could share this. So it was like, let, let me make these videos, but I'll tell you the, the mindset. Like I was, I was so scared, even though like, you know, I knew there was value, like the videos, there's still, my videos still aren't super high quality, but it was like a PowerPoint with, you know, this, this mic, like the Apple mic or whatever <laughs> headphones I had. And I put it up and I was like waiting and then someone bought it. And I think it was like 37 bucks for the first like series of videos I made. And I was just waiting for them to email in. I was like so nervous. They were going to be like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. But like, no, the feedback was good. So that, that was a big mental thing. Um, from there, it really did for the first like few years, just grow organically because members were telling other members, we had a, a 
um, a forum we still do, but the forum was growing. So people were like telling people they should be part of that forum. And um, I realized after a few years, like this is a real business and I should treat it as one. So um, yeah, we, we've definitely been doing that since then. Wow. So you said you were charging $37 at first? Yeah. I think the first hundred people I did like 37 bucks. Then I think I did like a hundred people at 97. Then it went to 297, then 497, then 797, then 997, then 1497. Then it's been all over the place. Yeah. Right now it's like our, our main product is, uh, is 1497 now. And it's okay. been that for the past like three or four years. What would you tell somebody regarding pricing who's coming in and thinking about creating a course or some kind of info product? Um, what, what are the lessons that you've learned with regard to, to where to price and, and to yeah. discount and, and whatnot? Yeah, I think when you're starting off, like seriously, like don't charge a lot. Like there's a few reasons. One, because you do want feedback. Like yeah. if somebody says, you know, Hey, like, why isn't, why don't you talk about this thing? Or like, I'm confused on this part. That's why like with dropship lifestyle, we're in version seven now. Like I've re-recorded everything and built it out seven times. And it's because there's like trying to basically like close any little holes that might be missing based on feedback. Um, and so I would have never started and been like, Hey, this is 1500 bucks. And then, you know, had to update it seven times over the past what is it? Six years. Um, so yeah, I would say start low, even if it's for a hundred people, one to get that feedback and two to start building a community. So mm. one of the things I know people in dropship lifestyle love the most is the actual community. So our Facebook group, our forum, we do um, events all around the world every year. And that's like a huge, huge, huge thing. And it's because we have people in the community, you know, so, and it's because they help each other and they're friends and they're in masterminds. So get people in, get conversations going. And then as the value increases between the community and the content you're making, you know, go up over time. Hmm. How do you go about creating that strong community within a course? Yeah. So I actually, the, the first forum that was on the website, um, there was no one on it, obviously it was just yeah. me. So I made like, and we, we used to use WordPress for our forum. Mm -hmm. So I made like four or five different accounts with different people's names. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went in and I was like asking questions, like, you know, common questions I would see on yeah. forums. Like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And then I would log in and I would answer it to get a conversation going. And that's how I seeded that. Like I, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. So make up conversations with yourself until other people start engaging. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So what, what have been some of like the biggest assets that a community provides to students? Like what are they getting out of being a part of, of this community? Yeah, I, I think, you know, beyond the training, obviously going like step by step, here's yeah. how it's done. It's um, that like indirect mentorship, if you want to call it that. And not just from me, but from everybody else. So we do encourage our members like, hey, if you have you know a massive sale or a great month or a win, like just post it, right? Like not to brag, just to, you know, like a little bit like to get people to say like, awesome job. But then also other people could see that's real. So instead of it just being me saying, here's this, just go through this. And then letting people think, you know, I'm sure like if I just said it was me, 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 then subconsciously in people's heads, they'd be like, is this really going to work? Does it just work for Anton? Like he's been doing this for so long. So by seeing like daily reminders in their uh, forum and Facebook group, it shows like, okay, if I do the work, I can get results. So I think that's the biggest, the biggest uh, bonus, which is massive. That's huge. And that social proof is, is everything because when people see that other people can do it, that's when they're going to have the confidence in themselves to actually go out there, take action and, and achieve it. So yep. I want to, I want to talk with you a little bit about marketing as well and how you were able to get the word out about your course, because obviously now at this point, there's a lot of buzz around it. Shopify is acknowledging it in multiple ways. Um, yep. How, how were you able to build that traction? Was it just like word of mouth over time? I'm sure at some point you started doing paid traffic as well. So yep. talk to us about that process. Yeah. So we have over 10,000 members now. The first 
maybe 2000, definitely over a thousand members, probably close to 2000 were without paid traffic. So that wow. was word of mouth in the sense like members are telling other members. I was still posting on like the warrior forum when it was possible. And you know, people were coming through uh, those channels. So that's how it grew. It didn't grow by me saying, I'm going to go spend all this money on ads yeah. and see what happens. Um, again, once like we had, maybe it was 1500, 2000 members. Um, once I saw like every single day that the community was just crazy active. Um, once we did our first event, which was in 2013 in, uh, in Chiang Mai in Thailand. And like, I saw people in person and like heard their stories and like connected with everybody. I was like, okay, this is, this is real. Like this yeah. is a real business. So that's probably when we started um, spending money on ads. So yeah, spend a lot of money on Facebook ads, spend a lot of money on YouTube, um, spend a lot of money on the content network on Google and um, just bring people into the world that way. A lot of what we do is, um, you know, every week for years, I make a new video that's like, not, it's not selling anything. Like I, I talk about the program, but like teaching something, hmm. sharing something that came up, sharing my opinion on something. So those get published to Facebook and to YouTube, the podcast I've been doing for like a year, but I can't measure if that's helping or not. I just do it because I like it. Um, but yeah, most of the growth since then is ads to content. People see the content ads to either a webinar or to enroll and people just coming through that way, but definitely value first. Okay. What made you want to make the, the pivot into paid traffic and sort of pouring that fuel on the fire? It was, it was definitely the, that first event we did. Like we had, um, like I think it was like 120 people that came to Thailand to literally go to the middle of the mountains to hang out and talk about e-commerce and like people saying like, you know, I'm here because of this, like mm. this changed my life. Like that's why I quit my job or that's why I have a new income or that's why I flew across the world. And I was just like thinking like, that's amazing because for me personally, like if I, for me, it was the four hour work week, right? Like if yeah. I didn't read that, I probably still have offline businesses and be, you know, working 80 hours a week and like flipping these things. And that would be my life. I read that book and like that book changed my life. And for me, it was a friend recommended it to me, mm. but like with Dropship Lifestyle, I saw it changing people's lives. So I was like, okay, how do I get this in front of people? And obviously we're not doing it for free. I'm not, you know, promoting it at break even, like it's making a bunch of money too. Yeah. But I want people to see it that would benefit from it. So that was it. It was hearing stories in person from people that I never knew besides maybe an email address. Mm. That. That's, that's huge. And I mean, the biggest thing for me when it comes to sales is like, you want to be promoting something that like people are missing out if they're not, if they don't have it. Like if people yep. aren't consuming your course, they're never going to have that experience. They're never going to create that for themselves. So being able to really realize the value that you're providing to people and the mm -hmm. change can have in their lives. It has been really valuable for me in feeling good about the marketing efforts that I do and being a lot more genuine when I do present stuff to people. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. If you don't believe in your thing, it would never work. And that's why like you asked about, you know, if someone wants to get into info, when I first started, would I have believed that my, cause I know now everybody says like have a webinar with a 997 pitch, right? And you can, Hey, you definitely can. But like back then I would have not, I, I personally, even with at that point, like five years e-commerce experience, I would have not been comfortable making those videos, selling it for that, and then spending a ton of money on traffic. Like, I think there is a, there's a ramp up. And like, even if you're helping people for free at first, mm. like even like maybe you do start at a more expensive program, but the beginning is just you giving advice, giving feedback, having people tell you, Hey, this is changing how I do this, or this is helping me this way. Like get that kind of feedback and motivation and then use that to feel more confident in yourself and your product. Absolutely. Anton, you've been dropping a ridiculous amount of value on our listeners today. I really appreciate it. I have some questions that I'd like to end the show with. Are you feeling ready to hop into those? Let's do it.
Awesome. The first thing I'm curious about is what are you excited about right now? What genuinely has you excited? This could be in your business, in the wider realm of entrepreneurship, info, um, whatever, wherever you want to take this. Yeah. So um, right at the time we were recording this, we just gave up our, I, I'm in Austin, Texas right now. Mm -hmm. We gave up our office at the end of last month. So I'm working from home because we're moving uh, next month to North Carolina. And I'm excited because we're going to get a whole new space out there. Um, office like we had here, but with a warehouse side to it, um, new place for me to work at, new place to be creative at, new place to make content at. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. I love it. I love it. What habits do you have that have served you particularly well? These could be in your business, in your lifestyle. Like what are things that you do on a routine basis to help you sort of get to that next level? Yeah, I think um, auditing what it is we're doing and not just falling into traps. Um, every two weeks we do this and different people do it in different parts of the business. It used to all be me, but I will. I'll look at all of our ads. I'll look at our conversion rates. I'll look at our Google Analytics. Um, I'll look at our emails and I'll just say like, okay, this is working, right? Like everything's good, but what could be better? Like, or if something's not right, like what can fix it? So making sure that it's never falling into, it is what it is and we're happy but it's that we're, we're progressively getting better. Mm, that's the truth. You always got to challenge what you're doing and make sure it's, it's the best that it can be. Uh, what content, if any, are you consuming right now? This could be books, audiobooks, podcasts, YouTube channels, but like what's the stuff that you're consuming on a regular basis? Yeah. So I'm trying to think of it. I saw a really good YouTube video. Um, it was actually about hiring different like levels of assistance hmm. from the guy. I don't know his name, but the Valuetainment channel. Oh yeah. Patrick. And, uh, yeah. And like, I had never seen it before. I saw it now with his, his massive following. Yeah. He had a video. Yeah. And like different like levels of assistance, like administrative, executive, um, team lead, I think. But like, mm. I, that was, that was really good. So yeah, that was the most recent one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm always really curious about as well with my guests is, is things that they do that don't scale. So for me, and a quick example of what I mean by this, um, every single day I'll pull out my phone and I'll shoot like five to 10 video DMs to just new followers. Just go to my new followers on Instagram and shoot them a quick like five, 10 second video being like, hey, what's up? My name's Apple. Thank you so much for the follow. I really appreciate it. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. Have a wonderful day. So I'm super simple like that. Um, is there anything that comes to mind for you that you do that isn't super scalable or mass producible or has that like Anton personal touch to it. Yeah. I would say the, the live webinars that I do, um, I do different ones. Some of them are like entry level with an offer, you know, to get sure. into the dropship lifestyle. But I also do at least one a month for the community. Hmm. And it's basically me saying, okay, whoever wants to get on this webinar, here's the link, hop on. And you know, there's nothing for sale. They're members already. And it's me just literally taking so many questions that come in and answering until they're finished. Mm. Um, something in the past actually have thought like, oh, we could have a coach do that or someone from the community. But um, I like being that person because it keeps that relationship even at, well, it does it at scale, I guess, in that sense, but it's not scalable in the sense that we could have, you know, it automated and I could be on the sure. other side of the world on my phone <laughs> see how things are going. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, Anzen, where can our listeners go if they've been enjoying this, if they've been learning a ton from you about dropshipping, about info, where can they go to follow up with you, find out more about you, what you're up to, dropship lifestyle, all of that good stuff? Where should we send them to? Yeah, I'll put, um, I'll put a link together after this call at uh, just go to dropshiplifestyle.com slash Apple. And then I'll post some links that are most relevant to what we've been talking about, you know, different blogs and podcasts and whatnot. And people could check it out there. Awesome. And I'll be sure to uh, put that link in the show notes for this episode as well. Anton, you've been dropping a ridiculous amount of value on our listeners today, and I really, really appreciate it. Do you have any last words of wisdom or parting thoughts for our listeners here on Young Smart Money today? Yeah. If, if you're young, don't, don't feel like you're too young. Um, I mentioned I was, I was waiting until I was older, until I was out of college. Mm. Then when I started my first business right out of college, I realized I could have done this <laughs> simultaneously the whole way. So, um, you know, just get, get to work, have fun with it. You're going to learn regardless of when you start. You're not going to do everything right. So the sooner the better.
That's the truth. Just start taking action, guys. Anton, thank you so much for your time, man. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this latest episode of Young Smart Money and got a ton of value out of it. If you did, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast. It only takes about five seconds. If you're walking the dog, if you're going to the gym, pull that phone out of your pocket, press that subscribe button, and uh, drop us some love in the ratings and review sections as well. Those really do help the podcast get in front of even more people and helps us get even more amazing guests on the show. And I do read each and every one of your ratings, reviews, message that you send me. Uh, they, they really do impact me and the show and show me exactly what you want to be seeing here on Young Smart Money. So again, do not forget to drop us a rating, review, and subscribe over in iTunes. And guys, have a wonderful day. Take care. And I really do appreciate you choosing to spend your time here with us on Young Smart Money. Have a wonderful day.